0: thanks, Andrew. Well, please keep your Bibles open to Romans eight, and uh, it's a great opportunity for us to uh, finish our series on Northmead Refresh. and uh, I'm going to just keep yelling loud until the sound system starts working. It's on. Okay, Very good. Uh, my name is Adrian, welcome to church. It's really good to see you. Um, as we finish our series on Northmead Refresh, I think the most refreshing thing, that I can leave us all with is that everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to turn out all right. In fact, more than okay, it's going to be really, really good. Perfect. And that's not just positive vibes and mere optimism. It's not a glib, meaningless statement that I got off an inspirational poster or a coffee cup this morning. Uh, It's not just wishful thinking where you sweep the problems under the carpet. This is the rock-solid confidence that comes from knowing that God has taken care of everything. And God is in complete control of now. And God loves us forever. So I thought it'd be good for us to finish our time together in refresh in one of the most comforting passages of the Bible. And I want us to notice that our assurance and our confidence rests in how powerful and in control God is. Because how could you not love How could you not be re-energized by a passage where God says, I know you cannot save yourself, so I've taken care of everything in Christ. Trust me, you're forgiven. But I also know you're not very good at trusting me, so I've given you a new heart and a new mind that knows the truth. But I know you're not very good at living by the truth and choosing righteousness. So I've given you my Holy Spirit to give you the strength you need and to grow you in godliness. And I know you're not very good at persevering under hardship. So I've given you brothers and sisters, a church family, you're not on your own. And I know you're not very good at remembering all the things I've done for you and all the blessings you have in Christ. So I've written them down and given you my word, my promises for you to keep reading and living by. It's all taken care of. This is the astonishingly comforting message of Romans 8. The the chapter starts in verse 1 with this amazing verse. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. For us, there's no judgment, no punishment, no assessment of our lives, no fear, no hell for us despite our sins and struggles and failures. There's none of that because of Christ. And the passage that begins with no condemnation finishes in verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This chapter is such a breath of fresh air because it reassures us of the truth of God's love in the gospel, and it reminds us of God's almighty sovereign power in Christ, which is summed up in that other beautiful and famous verse, verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Everything is going to be great. God has taken care of everything, and he promises us, I mean really promises us, that everything will turn out for our good, everything is at work for our blessing, everything that happens is achieving our salvation, our eternal life, our joy. So no matter where you're at, maybe you're sad or worn out or lonely and you're feeling it. Maybe you're lost and uncertain that things are going to turn out okay. Maybe you're feeling empty with nothing left to give. No matter how distracted you are by the world and its so-called treasures. Maybe you feel weighed down by your own mistakes and failures. Maybe you're faced with huge changes in your life. Like you're about to move and become the rector of a church in southwest Sydney and take your family with you. And maybe night church is getting a new pastor. Or maybe your son is about to get married next Saturday. One of your assistants is moving away amongst a whole bunch of other changes. But this is what God personally assures us. No matter what situation you are in, and no matter how bad or challenging it seems, there lies ahead for every Christian the most spectacular future where everything will be right and everything will be good. A better world where we live in a community made perfect and in bodies resurrected to live forever and in the presence of God who wipes away every tear from our eyes. Another way of putting this is how our passage starts in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So that's the first thing to note today. God promises us a transformed future. See, Paul acknowledges in several places in this passage that this life is hard. It involves suffering Groaning, waiting, longing, there's bondage, there's decay, there's sin and there's death. The Bible is honest and upfront about the Christian life. But this will all be changed in the future. Life will be changed and we will be changed. God promises us powerfully a transformed future. And what he has in store for us is described as glory. Glory that is so amazing that the suffering of this life is no comparison whatsoever. It's not worthy to be compared. It's not that it's a lot better or it's quite good compared to. It's not even worth comparing, he says. The glory is so immense. And you know, Paul knew his fair share of hardship, didn't he? Of imprisonment and persecution and abandonment. But he keeps going because he knows the glory that is to come For those who follow Jesus, he even says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, therefore, we do not give up for our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. There's no comparison. The glory to come far outweighs any waiting, any endurance, any suffering. And he goes on in verse 19, back in Romans 8, that this transformed future is us being revealed as God's sons. That's the glory that is in store. We are the sons and heirs of God. We belong to God. We are accepted by God. We're included into his life forever. Everything he has is ours. And we are loved like his very own son, Jesus. And then in verse 20 20, 21, we read of the glorious freedom of God's children. We'll no longer be slaves to decay and to sin and to suffering. Even creation itself is subjected to futility and meaninglessness now. But the future is a new creation set free from death and sin and decay. And then in verse 23, our future transformation means our adoption and the redemption of our bodies. There's our transformed future. Let these amazing promises refresh your soul. God promises us new life where he takes us from suffering to immeasurable glory. He promises new status, turning us from enemies into his glorious sons. In a new world where this broken world is transformed into a new creation set free from death. In new bodies where this sinful flesh is redeemed and resurrected and made like Christ. So we truly have a glorious and certain hope. Romans 8 is clear that God promises us a transformed future. But at the same time, God sustains us while we wait. God doesn't leave us to our own devices until Christ returns. God doesn't expect us to tough it out, to rely on our own strength and our own willpower Do it on your own. He doesn't say, look, I'll be back in a couple of thousand years. You'll be okay on your own for a bit, won't you? No, verse 26. Look at what he says. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit of God lightens our load and carries it with us. The Spirit of Christ lends us a helping hand and is on our side. The Spirit of Christ does what we cannot do. He helps us. See, God knows that we are weak and we can't do it without his power and strength and love. In fact, we are so spiritually weak in ourselves then when it comes to relying on him in prayer and calling on his help and asking for his strength, we can't even do that right because we don't know what to pray for as we should. We can't even get the relying on God bit right. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. This is awesome comfort. That in the promise of a transformed future, God is with us now at work in our lives. And just in case you've ever heard that stupid idea that people say that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but a force or an impersonal expression of the relationship between the Father and the Son, it's just wrong. It's blasphemous. Notice it says the Spirit himself intercedes because he is a person. But even more, the Spirit intercedes with groanings that words cannot express because the Spirit feels and He knows our frustration and our pain and our suffering. The Spirit is a person, a deeply caring person, because He is God. And because He is God, then He knows and searches our hearts and understands exactly what we need. And He's able to express it perfectly to the Father so that he intercedes, notice that small neglected phrase, according to God's will. The Spirit intercedes for us not to give us whatever we want, but searching our hearts and knowing God's mind, he connects us and joins us to him and intercedes for us according to God's will. He prays according to God's will for us, even when we don't know how which is the most loving thing he can do when you know what God's will is. Because God's will is expressed beautifully in the next verse, which we read earlier. He prays according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is something we know It's not something we guess or wish for or think would be good if it was true. We know all things work together for our good. All things, not most things, not some things, not the big things, not good things. All things, absolutely every single thing that happens is for your good, says God. Everything will be okay. God is in control of every little detail of your life. And God is lovingly and powerfully at work in those details to bring about what is good for you, your eternal salvation, because we are called according to his purpose. I'm not sure if you think much about what your calling is, what God's purpose for your life is. We spend a lot of time thinking about what I would like to do and what our desires are. But what is God's plan for your life and for your future? Because let me assure you, you can trust him with your everything. If you have your Bibles, turn up to Psalm 139. David writes in Psalm 139 about how deeply and intimately God knows us. Every detail of our lives and how almighty and in control God is. Psalm 139, let me read a chunk of it. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. I mean, that is a psalm full of the wonder and the majesty and the glory of God, who is almighty, and the astonishing truth that God, the eternal and almighty, omnipotent God, would care for us. And he knows us and is concerned for us and has a plan for us. And just as we, our bodies, are not just a random collection of molecules that happen to evolve out of the sludge. No, we were woven and knit together by God. So our lives are not some chaotic, random jumble of events that have no meaning or purpose. God has a plan. God has a purpose, a transformed future. And he sustains us and changes us even while we wait. Which brings us back to the deep spiritual comfort of Romans 8, verses 29 to 30. And you know, this section is sometimes called the golden chain of salvation, because it's just so precious and valuable. It's such a real spiritual and theological treasure as we see God's unconditional grace lead to his powerful grace, then his effective grace, his saving grace, and his transforming grace. At every step of the way, in every detail of this plan of salvation, it's God at work by grace. This is how we know that all things work together for our good. This is where our assurance lies. This is the source of our comfort and our peace and our confidence. Come what may, because from beginning to end, God has taken care of everything for us. Romans 8, verse 29, Those he foreknew. Now, sometimes people think that idea means that God has really good eyesight. And he can see into the future and he can see what will happen and then he makes his plans. But that is just a very convenient and a very human way to put our choices first and God's choices second. And to make it that he owes us something. When in fact God knows the future because he decided the future and he owes us nothing. And besides, foreknowledge is way more than that. The biblical term uh, for knowledge uh, again and again is used to mean something that is intimate and relational. I mean, in Genesis it says Adam knew Eve and she fell pregnant. And that's not that he filled in one of those how well do you know your spouse quizzes and then she was pregnant. It's relational. It's intimate and loving. Jesus says on the last day, many will come to him and say, didn't we do mighty works in your name? And he will say to them, I never knew you." And that's not like he's saying, "I didn't even know you existed." Where did you come from? Were you on the planet while I was watching? It's not that he says, "I don't know that you exist. He's saying, "I had no relationship with you." <laughs> They're not friends. So those whom God foreknew is really saying those whom God foreloved." This is his unconditional grace. It's not on the basis of our performance. It's not on the basis of our efforts. It's not on the basis of our desire to do good because on our own, we have nothing. What did God do for those He decided to love beforehand? Well, those He loved, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's decision from before time, God's choice, God's determination from before creation is to save us. And this is the shape that God's love takes. He knows us and he loves us and he chooses us to become like his son, Jesus. There is no greater blessing that he could give. There is no more precious gift that he could bestow. There is no more loving thing that he could do than to make us like Christ, to transform us and shape us and change us and conform us into the likeness of his perfect son. That's God's plan for our future, for us and for our church. And he is at work in us to achieve that even now. This series in Refresh, we've been reminded of how majestic and glorious and spectacular Jesus is. Being a Christian means more and more being captivated by the beauty of Christ's majesty and mercy, by his power and compassion. We love Jesus. We worship Him. We adore Him. And to think that God's plan for us is that we get to be like Him. And for us, who were once lost, we were dead in our sins. We were His enemies. We were rebels against Him. In us, there was nothing good. There was no power or desire to do good. And yet God graciously loves us, knows us, chooses us, And determines that we will be like his precious son. And even in this, it's actually all about Jesus, isn't it? He conforms us to be like him so that Christ will be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, I know that we can find all this a bit daunting and a bit overwhelming. Idea of predestination and the idea of God planning things before time. I think that is the right response I think it's good for us to be daunted and overwhelmed. When we consider Almighty God, it's pretty presumptuous that we'd be able to approach Him and go, Yep, I got that. I think I understand everything about Him. He's pretty cool. Of course we're going to fall down before Him and tremble at His mighty power. It is right for us to come to God with a healthy dose of awe and wonder and fearful respect and of feeling small and feeble before Him. Our minds should be blown at the epic scale of his sovereign reign over all things. But at the same time, it should fill us with the deepest comfort. Because this omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty, everlasting God loves us. And takes care of everything for us. And rules in every detail of our life so we will be saved. And we will persevere to the end and we will experience resurrection into eternal life as he makes us like Christ in holiness and blamelessness and selfless love. We walk in the footsteps of Christ with the spirit of sonship at work in us on the path from suffering to glory. And so the golden chain continues in verse 30 from his unconditional grace to his sovereign grace to his effective grace. Those he predestined, he called. He called. This is his love and his choice worked out in our lives. As he speaks our name and calls us to himself. As he knows us and invites us. More than that, he calls us and gathers us and carries us to himself. Even our response to God of faith and acceptance is in fact the work of God. As Jesus said in John 10, He says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who is greater than all, has given them to me. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I mean, that's astonishing that Jesus would say, I know my sheep, I love my sheep, I will die for my sheep. And there is nothing, there is no one that can take away the salvation that I am dying to give them. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. And so again, I don't know exactly where you are at in life. Where you are at in the roller coaster experience of being a Christian and or just living in this fallen, broken world. But I do know this spiritual reality. For those who trust in Jesus, for those who are called by Jesus, you rest in his hands. You are safe. You are secure in the hands of the Father. And nothing can change that. No one can snatch you away because those he called, he justified. I mean, have you noticed that all of the links in this golden chain are all past tense? Even as they describe for us the certainty of our future transformation, they're all locked in. They're all done because they're all of God. We have been justified. That means we've been declared not guilty. We've been declared to be innocent and right with God. I mean, that's a load off your shoulders isn't it just like we saw earlier there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus there is no sense that we are forgiven now but if we get it wrong if we're not good enough if we make a mistake in the future we might lose that forgiveness or we need to come back to church and deal with the sins that we did since last time we came to church no there is no condemnation there's none And otherwise, someone could snatch us from his hands. But nothing can. Because the one who loved us and predestined us and called us has justified us through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. Christ's death is enough. God doesn't save us by grace, love us, welcome us, take care of everything for us, and then change his mind and say, right, now the rest of you is up to by works. No, it's all of God and it's all of grace. His unconditional grace leads to his sovereign grace, his effective grace, his saving grace, and finally, his transforming grace. Because those he justified, he glorified. Everything is going to be great. The end is so guaranteed. God's word is so sure. Christ's death is so powerful. The Spirit's work is so effective that he can say, we have been glorified it's happened it's already spiritually true it's God's decision it's God's plan it's God's guaranteed future and it's already real even as we wait for the fulfillment and the completion of this reality which means the Christian life will always feature growth and change and transformation As God works in us individually and God works in our church, we need to keep changing. We need to keep transforming. We need to keep growing. But I trust that you've been able to see in the last month, especially that growing and being transformed as believers is not about doing more or being better, but going deeper into the truths of God, into the wonder of his grace and into the glory of the gospel. So let me finish with a description of what happens when we gaze deeper and deeper into God's word. As we live more and more at the foot of the cross, captivated by the majesty of Jesus. As we know God more, relationally, intimately, loving and delighting in him and in his mighty power. This is what happens to us. Let me read from 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 16. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in your kindness and in your eternal determination, you have revealed yourself to us in your word, the Bible, so that we can know you and know how spectacular and perfect and mighty and loving you are. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your perfect son, laying down his life for the sheep. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your spirit, speaking your words, the words of Christ into our hearts and minds. Father, please change us and transform us more and more to be like your son. Help us to gaze deeper and deeper into who you are as you speak to us in your word. And Father, please fill us with utter confidence that you're in complete control. You've taken care of everything. And you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.